Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.com. V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Now, last time we spoke, you were looking for a pullback so that you could pick up a few stocks that you hadn't purchased previously. Where do things sit today? Well, I'm still kind of uh, left out of the game here. The pullback I'm looking for still has not happened. We're hanging with respect to gold right below this 1800. We had a push up into the 1790 range this morning as we're recording this, and then we backed away. I'm still thinking that this is incredible overhead resistance in gold at this 1800 level. Obviously, if you can break through there, it's going to just really show the great strength that this market has. But the bottom line for me is still sitting here with some cash. I just hate to chase things right now. I still think it's time to try to have a little bit of patience if we've got some cash and not to chase prices higher right here. Well, I suppose there's a lot of folks out there that are exercising patience. At the same time, there are those that are carefully buying into some of their favorite stocks. Oh, yeah. Not all the stocks have run up with this recent rally, you know, in gold and silver and and a lot of the bigger companies. So some of the smaller companies are still pretty much dragging on the bottom. And I still look at this just as a great time to be accumulating these stocks. I mean, I've got so many positions, you know, probably 80 or so, but most of my focus is on my top 25. And, of course, the real money's in the number one, two, three, four, five positions up at the top, which have done incredibly well. But some of the positions as I go down my list have done very little in this market environment. And to me, they all will probably perform greatly before this party is over. That's giving time. You want to go in, top off the positions, you know, and buy a little bit more at this particular time. It's those that have really made a significant rise in value that we just hate to chase to be buying more. And, of course, for new subscribers, you know, as new subscribers come in, whether they're coming in with us or any other newsletter writers, the prices are just going to be going up for everybody. So each individual is entering this game 
at different times, right? It's like a revolving door, you know, new people coming in all the time. And the deal is we all have to deal with life in real time. If you want to play the game and, and buy resource stocks, back early part of the summer would have been the time to have bought. Now the price on a lot of them is up a little bit. But again, we're still at the early stages of this whole blast-off phase here. And a lot more gains are to come. We're all just different, you know, as to when we come in, which stocks that we buy. But we sure got a lot of great choices for uh, our subscribers at, at either of the service, you know, whether that's the, the greedyguru.com, which is truly the top picks of the pros, or whether the uh, precious metals warrants. So just a whole slew of different opportunities. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its joy and Mount Mervyn projects. These properties are located along the Rackland gold belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, ExpeditionMining.com. And we're back. Explain, if you will, your strategy of following the insiders. Well, an institutional service that we subscribe to allows me to literally track hundreds of companies, hundreds of the resource stocks. So obviously, all the companies that we already own, all the companies that have warrants in our database, we've got those symbols bookmarked when any insider, officer, director, 10% shareholder does a transaction. We get an instant email. This is how we can literally stay on top of hundreds of companies just due to the systems that we're using. So we are able to filter this out. So we're down to maybe six or eight companies right now that we've still got buy alerts on because of the insider activity. But it's just a great methodology to use, and we've got a, a good long-term track record on the insider activity. We just love this. So even if it's a company, you know, forget warrants, I mean, right at the moment. I know that some people are just get turned off with warrants. I don't get it myself because they're great opportunities. But if somebody's listening and it's, ah, oh, it's a damn warrant guy again, you know, it's like, forget that I'm doing warrants, okay? So look at our insider stuff. If you get to see my portfolio, you will be seeing some really interesting companies. Well, you're going to see everything I own, but you're going to see them ranked by my top 25 holdings. That by itself is giving you an incredible lead-in to opportunities that you want to be looking at. And, of course, any of those, we are religiously following. Hang on here. we got a little ice cream truck. we got a Mexican. Uh... Like we are truly in Mexico, guys. So, uh it is what it is, you know. Hey, at least the dogs are pretty quiet today behind me. So, and the roosters. Uh, you, you just never know what's going to happen, but it's part of the excitement and the flavor of, of being in Mexico. All of my positions, we literally are on top of what the insiders are doing. It's as simple as saying, so why would you want to buy shares in a company if the insiders did not have a significant position. They've got to be motivated. They may have a nice salary, you know, 100000 200000 I don't care about that. But do they have skin in the game? This is what it's all about. 
And particularly, if I'm going to buy shares in a company, I want to make sure that I do not own more shares than the damn president of this company. I want to know all the detail before I step into a transaction. And right now, just to share with you, I mean, no company names here mentioned, one little stock came to my attention over the last few weeks. Interesting story. Really interesting story. And I met the management, and it's like I can't get comfortable because the top man has still not filed any inside reporting what his holdings are with the company. And I'm thinking, there's no way that I'm going to buy one share of stock until that reporting has been done, and I know exactly how many shares that he has. So I'm a little puzzled, but again, just because the story sounds good, but when I do my research... There's no way I can put my money on the line until I get comfortable with this whole insider situation. That's just an example here. You know, you meet somebody and it sounds good, but it's like, man, so how come you have not filed? Uh, anyhow, I think we're going to get all this worked out in the fullness of time, but for me, I'm not stepping into any new stock positions until I know what everybody is really doing. Well, that's great. It gives your subscribers an opportunity to let you do all the work and they can potentially benefit from it. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, I enjoy doing the work. So my guys, I think, and most people can probably hear the excitement in my voice. You know, I enjoy what I'm doing. Sit here looking for news, you know, during the day on any of our uh, given companies. I'm always looking for new opportunities for myself. And of course, at the same time, it's, it's always for subscribers. I'm here to do what? I'm here to help our subscribers make money. This is the whole game. I'm not writing a lot of verbiage for you just to read for the sake of reading what I deem as the macro picture of the world. That's just not me. You've got a lot of other places to go. I'm the guy that if you're looking for some stock picks, I'm going to give you a hell of a selection. And you can cherry pick the ones that you like. But I will say our number one and number two positions have been on fire. It have done incredibly well. And there's still so much more to come. It's like if anybody had been following me, say, for the last, well, even for the last year, one of those positions, you could have easily been up five to 600%. Well, that's pretty cool. You're talking about getting your cost of your subscription back. It's all about finding some home runs. We've had some really great home runs. And again, we're still with those positions because there's so much more uh, yet to come. Party's just getting started. The party is just getting started, and we hope to see you at the Hard Assets Conference in San Francisco next month. I look forward to that, Ellis. That'll be a great time. In fact, I think I just booked my flight this morning. We're on board and ready to go. we got a little workshop the first morning of the conference, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, but it's going to be a fun uh, It's going to be a fun workshop, so anybody listening, preferably sign up to and subscribe to one of our services, but if you're just listening, if you're in San Francisco, make sure you, you know, attend our workshop on that first morning. I'm going to give you a lot of great ideas there as well. Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Yeah, me, me too, Ellis. Uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Join me now for a conversation with Ranting Andy Hoffman. Ranting Andy Hoffman spent 15 years on Wall Street before shifting his focus to precious metals in 2002. Over the past decade, he has become a global expert in gold and silver analysis, and in late 2011, joined Miles Franklin Precious Metals as its marketing director. Andy, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back, Alice. Silver, as of late, has been near $35 an ounce. Now, I realize... 
You were the marketing director for Miles Franklin, and you're perhaps not unbiased. But did we really miss the boat by not buying silver under thirty dollars? Well, no. I mean, it was fifty bucks a year and a half ago. It was fifty bucks thirty years ago. It was fifty bucks a hundred years ago. There's much less silver now than there was a hundred years ago, or even five or ten years ago. And there's a lot more printed currencies. What we've seen since we hit fifty dollars just eighteen months ago was basically. Massive money printing and massive suppression. It's going to go back up there, and it's going to go far beyond. And everything is contributing to that. At some point, we were sort of uncertain about which way the market was going to go, but you always knew that come the fall, come another quantitative easing, seems like a permanent one, that the suppression or false manipulation couldn't hold silver down indefinitely. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't have a specific time frame other than I know the money printing will never stop. QE to infinity is is a fact of life. I mean, every fiat currency system by nature is a Ponzi scheme. It must keep growing in order for it to stay alive. Of course, you must also keep confidence in it. That's the Achilles heel of the, the people that are running it. Turns out it was this fall. People say, well, it's the summer doldrums, so now we're in the fall. But last year it happened in the summer and could very well happen at any time. All these same factors are contributing to continued requirement of more money printing. And it will never end until the currency collapses. So you'll have a job forever? No, I won't, because the limiting factor is supply. And we saw it when silver, for instance, went to 50 bucks, we ran out of supply. When it went to the paper price, at least, went to 8 or 9 bucks, we ran out of supply. Because the real physical price actually only fell as low as 17, because no one was selling down that low. So we try to tell everyone in our business that, yeah, you may think you're waiting for a pullback, but what you really need to do is think of protecting yourself and just having ounces because at some point we're going to run out of supply and there'll never be any left because once the fiat currency system is in play, the governments will take what little supply is left. Is there more safety in precious metals than in real estate? Well, real estate is, you know, people say, well, what should I own? Like when precious metals take off, and I say, well, I don't know what everything will look like then. And if you're talking about today, real estate is just an investment. And I try to tell people, uh, I mean, it's the number one thing I tell people, gold and silver are not investments, they are money. This is how you protect your wealth. You don't buy them hoping that they go higher. You buy them because you believe everything is going to fall in value against them. Now, when it comes to real estate, it's no different than a mining stock or a bond or anything else in the paper realm. You are buying it speculating that will go up in price. And while some real estate may be undervalued, I believe, at least here in the States, that the majority of it is vastly overvalued, and and I wouldn't touch it. How do you feel about coin collecting as an investment? Well, again, coins are not investment. I mean, if you're talking about numismatic coins, it's another story. But if you're talking about simply gold and silver bullion, that is money. I mean, no one ever asks people when they have cash sitting in the bank, what do you think of your investment in cash? That's just your savings, especially now that they have no interest rates. You don't even make any money on it. Gold and silver, yeah, they're commodities, but they're commodities that are timeless and priceless. And of course, what the metric that they're being measured in, which is fiat dollars and euros and yen, are being depreciated every day. So again, I'm not buying these things to Uh, I don't even consider buying them. I think you're just simply trading in one currency for another. It turns out that this currency, gold and silver, actually has all the properties of money, unlike the dollar, which does not. You have a daily rant on milesfranklin.com, Ranting Andy. Let me ask you, what are you most happy about right now regarding the blog? Well, I'm most happy about the explosive growth in the readership and also the the participation that I'm, I'm getting, you know, the amount of 
interaction I have on a daily basis with the readership is amazing. And I think there's a tremendous awakening of people around the globe to the inevitable decline of the fiat currency. Maybe it's just a double from 1% or 2% of the population to 2 or 3%, but the fact is there's a lot more people that are showing interest in things that a few years ago they wouldn't dream of showing interest in. Something like a 1% increase from 1% to 2% is really parabolic then, isn't it? Well, it's a big increase, especially when you're talking about a very limited supply of physical gold and silver, as I'm talking about. Unfortunately, it still leaves 98 or 99% of the population unable to protect themselves. And, you know, our goal at Miles Franklin, it really, I mean, we're in the business of helping protect people, and I'd like to help as many people as we can before uh, there's nothing you know, nothing left to protect them with. And guess I'll take 3 or 4% uh, instead of 1 or 2%, but I, I'd prefer that it would be a lot more. And what are you most irritated about? No, no. But, well, you know what I'm most irritated about? I'll tell you. And if you're reading my blog, you'll know. I think it's the people on our own team who kind of sabotage the cause of protecting oneself with, you know, there's a lot of newsletter writers and commentators who are constantly talking about technical charts and pullbacks and trying to turn what should be a movement toward protecting oneself by trading in their currency for real money into kind of a trading scheme. And uh, as a result, there's constantly people who are out of the game and losing money that they should not be. And it really irritates me because this is from the good guys, supposedly. Now, I need to state that Miles Franklin is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Let's walk our listeners into the process of owning silver. Right. It's very easy. I think most people don't realize you even can own physical gold and silver. And and if so, they're not sure how you do it. Look, it's an unregulated business. So you have to really go with who you can trust because no one's going to stop you if you're doing bad things, if you're not being good with the customer service. We've been around for 21 years and we have A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. We've never had a, a a complaint. Really, all you have to do is just give us a call during the business hours and our staff will help you through the process. You pay by uh, a check or a check by phone or a wire and we send you the medal. It's that easy. I've been speaking with ranting Andy Hoffman, the marketing director of MilesFranklin.com. Andy, thanks for joining me today on the program. You're very welcome. Thanks. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. For more information, visit our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Stuart Ross, the president of El Tigre Silver Corp. Welcome to the program, Stuart. Thanks, Ellis. I'm glad to be here. Tell me about El Tigre's project in northeastern Sonora State, Mexico. Well, we have a project that has concessions totaling 431 square kilometers. It's huge. The amount of it that we're actually working is significantly less than that, but we have a buffer around us. We are about 90 kilometers south of the border with Arizona. East of Nogales, we are south of Douglas, Arizona, and Agua Prieta in Sonora. The project is accessible from Hermosillo, where our offices are, a half-day ride over paved roads for the most part, 35 miles of ranch roads to the project. And we are currently in the process of drilling 
for purposes of providing enough information and data to put into our 43101 to create a resource model, a block model. At the same time, we have on the property a tailing stockpile that's the result of 35 years of mining by the original owners of the property back in the uh, 20s and 30s. This tailing stockpile has been analyzed. We've done metallurgical scoping work and designed a production facility to produce revenue. And the revenue will be to support the exploration program going forward. The property has an enormous exploration potential. It has strike length on the original mine of 1.5 kilometers with 450 meters of dip. It was significant, the workings over 35 years, and it was a very high-grade underground process. Our intention would be to open pit the top 700 feet of it, 200 meters, which would be a, a somewhat less expensive, and we believe that there is material around the vein system in the hanging wall, foot wall of the vein system, disseminated material that will provide us with more than enough grade for uh, an open pit mine. So you have enough open pit to keep you going for quite a while, and you have all of that property extending out. And then sometime down the road, in who knows how many years, you can go deep, right? We could conceivably go deeper if the grades would support it past the 225 meters. At this point, our intention, and there is enough property to keep us going for a long time before we go deep. The tailings itself would last eight years on a 250 ton per day basis. We've designed a plant that will be scalable. It starts at 250 tons per day and is scalable to 500. So that would decrease the life of the tailings portion of the property by half, but still four years worth of revenue from tailings alone for continued exploration. The tailings is not the real story in El Tigre Silver. The real story is the exploration potential, but we need funds to do the exploration, and the funds, if they can be generated internally, are a lot less dilutive. Now with the tailings, you'll be able to go into production right away, at least with 250 tons per day. Is that correct? That's correct. What's the grade on that? What kind of output can we expect to see over the course of four years ahead? The tailings in size is between 750 and 800,000 tons. The specific number that we hit on our scoping was 787,000 tons. Difficult to imagine something that size. Imagine three city blocks 40 meters deep. That's the size of the tailings. It's enormous. The grades in the tailings from our drill program, we did a 25-meter space drill program, took us 46 holes to get where we wanted. The grades are average 2.65 ounces per ton. Anywhere from 2 to 3 ounces is the range. And the metallurgy shows us we can get 69% silver recovery and 94% gold recovery. When do you expect to go into production? From the time we put the funds in the bank for the production facility, we're 12 months to production. It's 8 to 10 months for construction and another 2 months of testing while we bring the production up to speed. Let's go back to the history of this company and its conception. Stuart, how did you find this large property over 400 square kilometers, and how did it come into your hands? The individual that is the vendor is from Edmonton, Alberta. He is a good friend of mine. He was working on a tailings, a very small tailings project in southeastern Sonora, and it didn't go quite the way we wanted or he wanted, uh, but he had access to the tailings that are associated with the El Tigre mine, and we hired a geologist and metallurgist to research those tailings, and in researching it, we found in the University of Wyoming in Laramie, we found records that related to the mine, how the tailings were created, and we also found a report written by Anaconda. Anaconda Minerals was on the property in the early 80s, 
and they did a full district scale exploration program over almost three years. 8,000 meters of drilling, thousands of surface samples, 400 meters of drifting. The unfortunate part of their program was that silver was in 1978-79, the hunts were buying it and it was going up, but by the time they were halfway through the program, it had gone back to the $6 level, so they passed on the property. That property came to our attention while we were looking at the tailing. I formed a Capital Pool Corporation in 2009, and in March 2010, we acquired the El Tigre property in a qualifying transaction. So March 2010, the company started trading as El Tigre Silver, and we started the current program. Give us some background on your management team and board of directors, if you don't mind. Yes, certainly. The board of directors and the management were specifically selected for the project because of their experience. Grant Smith, our chief financial officer, he has a public practice. He does this work for us as he works for others. Previously was CFO for Orcana Mining, has experience in Mexico with all the accounting idiosyncrasies that come with producing mines. Steve Craig is our vice president of exploration. He's an accomplished senior mining geologist, 37 years of industry experience, of late five years with Griffin Gold. January 2005, he brought the Griffin Gold project that's now in production back to production. He's had that experience. Our country manager in Mexico is Jose Velasquez. He lives in Hermosillo, where our office is. Jose has been involved and been responsible for drilling grassroots to pre-fees all over northern Mexico. His experience of 30 years has been in the area we're in with precious metals. Some of the drill programs he was responsible for are La Colorado, Sonora Mine by El Dorado, Morris and Chihuahua, and the San Felipe deposit in Baja. So he's had a lot of experience with exactly what we have and what we want, what we want done. The directors are Daniel Telechea, who is the CEO of Diabras Exploration. He's with Diabras now, but he was previously president and CEO of Asarco, and also managing director of finance and administration for Grupo Mexico. He has an enormous contact base in, in Mexico and is uh, willing to share that with us. Jeff Wilson is another director. He is VP of Exploration for Lincoln Mining, 34 years of professional exploration experience, precious metals, Mexico, western U.S. and western southern U.S., tentacle minerals. Ken Booth is another director. He has 30 years in exploration, mining, corporate finance. A lot of his background is in corporate finance. Although for 10 or 11 years, he ran Orcana Resources in Mexico. So has a lot of experience in what we need done. Wade Anderson is an independent director. He's a chartered accountant, has a practice in Alberta. Basically, he was appointed by the vendor as a representative. But Wade is a great addition to our team, audit committee chair, lots of experience with financial statements. And you have quite a diversified background. You were involved with a renowned beverage company, Clearly Canadian, which had a great deal of play worldwide. You've got a varied background with the Waterfront Group, a mining consortium over there in West Vancouver. Let's delve into your successful history. Well, that, it started in the public company business in 1986 with what started as Jolt Beverage. Jolt Beverage was uh, within two years turned into Clearly Canadian Beverage Corp. Clearly Canadian was a very successful company. The sales in Clearly Canadian went from $2 million a year to $187 million over a two-and-a-half-year period, just a heck of a rise. The stock did exactly the same thing. But along with Clearly Canadian, we also set up the Waterfront Mining Group and were involved with several mining plays within BC and also in Labrador. Our group set up the first capital pool corp that traded on the TSE. There were others in Alberta prior to that, but when the TSE allowed them, I believe it was 1992, uh, we formed First Venture Capital. That turned into LASIK Vision Canada, which was a fairly successful deal as well. So my background involves 25 years in directing public companies, transactions, 
equity, debt financing, administrative financial advisory roles, property acquisitions from start to finish. You have what looks like a very attractive share structure. We currently have 41.9 million shares outstanding. It is very attractive share structure. We call it an inside group, the principal vendor, the management between Sprott Asset Management and Pine Tree. We own 47% of the stock. So it's fairly tightly held, which is a good thing and a bad thing. And haven't up until the last two weeks, haven't traded an enormous amount, but that's changed in the last two weeks. Our volumes are picking up. We have a lot more volume happening with the stock. There are 16 million warrants outstanding, but the warrants are between 40 and 60 cents. They expire anywhere from December 2012 through January 2013. To summarize, Stuart, what are you working on at the moment and in the next 12 months looking ahead? We're um, working on completing the information we need to go into production. The next 12 months will see us building a production facility and getting it to the production level where we're generating revenue within 12 months. During that time, we're also going to complete this fall 2,700 meters of drilling, which together with what we have existing will give us enough data to create a block model, which will allow us to update our 43101. And then in 2013, the drill program will continue with another 10,000 meters, expanding the size of the inferred resource. If that's what we come up with in our block model, it'll expand the size of that and it will also test some high-grade targets in the northern end of the property. And why should we consider El Tigre Silver Corp. as a potential investment opportunity in lieu of many of the others, aside from the fact that you're a sponsor of this program? Well, we have an enormous exploration potential. We also have a means of generating the revenue to pay for the exploration internally without having to dilute the stock. There are lots of companies that have exploration potential, but they have to continue to sell treasury stock to get there, and they end up being diluted. Well, Stuart, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me, Alice. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. I've been chatting with Stuart Ross, the CEO of El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Ian Chalmers is the Managing Director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its Dumbo Zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. Now, I wasn't aware of all the projects that Alkane Resources has had over the years, evidently. We've covered the Dobo Zirconia project. We've spoken about the Tomlingley Gold project. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, while everyone is on summer vacation here in North America, you sell your interest in a McPhillamese Gold project, a joint venture that you have with Newmont Exploration, a subsidiary of the giant Newmont Mining for a paltry $75.6 million? Mm, correct. Uh, now, why didn't we know about this? This is great news. Congratulations. 
What are you going to do with all that cash or stock? Well, look, it's interesting. It goes back a long way, and it's it's just part of our exploration activities. And because when you have development projects, people don't take a lot of interest in what you're doing in an exploration sense. But we actually discovered McPhillamy's back in 2006, and by 2009, I think, uh, or 2010, reported the three million ounce resource there. And at that stage, the joint venture was with Newmont. Uh, they came in and they earned a 51% interest. And sometimes the markets tend to take a sort of a, a light, slight negative view of when you're in joint venture with majors. I mean, you have 49%, therefore the major dominates the timetable and dominates what's being done. So in that sense, it sort of got pushed down the recognition pile, even though it probably still rates as one of the best greenfield gold discoveries in Australia in the last sort of five years or so. So yeah, it was important. It was a very important device. When you have a major like Newmont who's there looking all the time around the world at all their different opportunities, McPhillamy's probably slipped down their uh, list of priorities a little bit and it wasn't going anywhere. And fortunately, the Regis opportunity came out, Regis Resources opportunity came out and it seemed like a smart thing to do, a solar project 100% because obviously Newmont were party to that as well. And then we felt we'd sit back and hang on to the Regis shares and uh, go for a ride with them and, and get some return out of the project when they put it into production. Now, the good thing about Regis is that they're already a gold producer, probably heading towards 300,000 ounces a year and maybe greater. And then with McPhillamy's coming on stream in maybe three or so years' time, they might be a half a million ounce gold producer. So they're a very substantial group, very substantial production capacity. And the shares to us, if you like, going into the bank account, they'll sit there. Uh, we have no need or desire to sell the shares at this point in time, but we'll sit on it and um, just see what happens. And it's interesting. I mean, given that the deal was done at a, at a base price of $4.20, and today Regis are already trading at $4.70 something, so we probably made 10 million dollars since we did the deal a week or so ago so it's it's useful but it's a bit like a bank account having it sitting there in the bank account and hopefully accumulating over the next year or so what was the cost to acquire and explore or define that project our investment's actually quite small. I mean, we acquired the ground by applying for an exploration licence. I mean, we apply for these licences as long as there's no conflicting land use or other exploration titles in there. We were granted that back in, gosh, about 2000. We did some work on it in 2000 and then sort of slowly sort of got tied up doing Tommingley and tied up doing Dubbo. And that's ultimately why we farmed it out to Newmont. I mean, they came to us in 2000 and said, look, we've done a bit of a, a geological analysis of that region. Uh, you've got some good properties. Would you be interested in joint venturing? And at that stage, the prime target was a different project, not McPhillamy's. But the nice thing about it is that because they had no presence in that region, they allowed us to do all the exploration work. We put up the programs and budgets. They provided the cash to do that. And really, we finally convinced them that this area we call McPhillamy's was worth drilling. So Alcane's exposure into the project is the total project is probably less than half a million dollars. Now, over the subsequent years since the joint venture got rolling, Newmont have probably spent a total of $15 million. So it's a good return for them, and it's an extremely good return for us. So is your remaining Tomlingley Gold Project a potential takeout candidate? Not really. It's too small. It's a modest project. It's probably 800,000 ounces in the ground there today. Over time, we think we could push it to a million ounces. But then the resource ounces sort of generally only equate or convert about 
50 to 70 percent get converted into production ounces. So it's a relatively small project and the reason we're committed to developing it is that it provides us with that bread and butter income, that 20, 30 million dollars a year income that'll generate for us. It's just a very helpful backstop or insurance policy should for some reason Dubbo get pushed out another year or two or also to help us with our other exploration projects. We have three very good exploration projects in the same region, two of which which could easily turn into ore bodies in the next two or three years. So that cash flow coming out of Tom and Liz, if you like it, it funds the company independent of Dubbo. So that's the reason we've wanted to hang on to it. Certainly we've had the you know, the broking fraternity say to us a couple of times, oh, you need to split the company up between a gold company and a rare metal, rare earth company. And our view is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, really, it's the cash flow that matters. It doesn't matter to me whether you're producing it from gold or copper or rare earth or widgets or something else for that matter matter it's the cash flow that people should should acknowledge and then you get valued on cash flow eventually not on the commodity and the diversity gives you some flexibility gives you some again insurance you know, if the gold price of dives in the next two or three years, well, we've got Dubbo sitting there, we've got other copper projects. It might be vice versa, maybe the rare earth market, again, just wild to wild speculation falls apart totally, then we've always got the gold as a backstop and the gold income. So we publicly state we're a diversified company. The difference is that that diversification is very geographically focused. One small tight area in the state of New South Wales is where we see all of our developments coming. So it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but basically at this stage we see Tommingley as an important part of the development of the company. Now copper is a metal that does well when rare earths and rare metals do well or are in demand. What kind of copper resource do you have and how do you expect to monetize that? Right now we've got a small defined copper resource. It's only about 2 million tonnes of 1% copper. It's a relatively small resource but it is open pitable and it does produce a very nice clean copper concentrate. We think we can double or triple that size over the next couple of years and get it up to say 5 to 8 million tonnes. It becomes a worthwhile project. Again, not a large copper project but something that's there and there's a market for the metal. We also have another exploration project project nearby which is a potentially much larger copper gold porphyry system. For example, Newcrest, you know, Australia's uh, still biggest gold producer or, or domestic gold producer is about 100 kilometres down the road from where we're working. Now that deposit that they have there is something like 40 or 50 million ounces in ground. Now I'm not saying we found that but this other exploration project is the same geological environment but it takes time to explore these and to develop the potential resources. So we've got the copper resource there, small but can be expanded, and nearby another sort of copper gold porphyry system, which again needs exploration. So these are the pipeline of projects that we see Alkane looking to develop over the next three to five years. And you're right about copper. I mean, it still remains an important industrial metal. It's not up there with, say, iron ore or coal or those metals, but it's a very important metal in any industrialisation. And you look at the graphs that companies like Rio Tinto and BHP put out, they'll show how copper growth is dependent upon the stage of development of a country. Now, as you get up into stable development in most Western countries, for example, the copper demand is fairly flat, but maybe grows at 3 or 4% per annum. Countries like China, which are in this enormous growth phase, that copper demand can be 10 to 15% per annum. So there's still a big demand going forward for copper in the next sort of 10 to 20 years as countries like China and India industrialise. It's a good metal. It's an interesting metal to be involved in, and so we see a lot of future in it. This is not a new company, and years ago you spent quite a bit of time staking out the area in New South Wales with the knowledge that down the road or in the future 
there'd be a market for everything in a polymetallic sense that you have found. That's always been the strategy. It's something we've believed in in the metals business. We believed in where it's going. We've certainly believed in the rare metal, rare earth business. And said I've been involved in it for 25 years. Probably 15 years ago, you know, I felt. We were about to go through the transition where these metals would really start to come into their into their own as being you know, new age metals or environmentally necessary metals, and that's all been part of the general strategy. So you're right. I mean, the company's been around for many years, but going back uh, to our involvement, probably the early 90s, 1990 onwards, uh, we really did put a big effort into building up our land position, and then ultimately having the strategy of multiple developments. Let's talk about rare earths and rare metals specifically. While two of the largest companies in the space, Lioness and Molycor, have experienced a bit of a takedown, and some of my peers are calling the sector somewhat of a bubble, the fact remains that you have memorandums of understandings, or MOUs, for probable offtake agreements for everything you'll have coming out of the double area, correct? That's correct, yes. You're right about the negative sentiment that's crept into the industry. And it, I mean, it's generally wrong. I mean, people have got to stand back. Okay, we did go through an enormous bubble-type effect back in uh, early last year, middle of 2011, but it's now starting to stabilise, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start to see prices stabilise again as demand picks up. And again, we're, unfortunately, we're going through another flat demand time. But as demand picks up, those prices will start to come back to a level which is then long-term sustainable. And sure, the guys like Molycor and Linus are going to be there at the forefront with their big light rare earth production. There is still scope for other companies like ourselves with four to 5,000 tonnes a year of production, which aren't impacted to the same degree as you know, the bigger guys, Linus and Molycorp. So it's still a very good business. It's going through another transition that it will go through over the next, I said, one to two years. The Chinese are looking at it much more long-term sustainable now than what they're doing to the industry inside China. So it is a good business, but the trouble is that the market has just taken this very negative view on it at present and uh, is not standing back and looking at the fundamentals when they're trying to value these companies. And unfortunately, we see it quite often. Regardless of all of that negative news in the rare metal space, Tom Lee is about to go into production. You've just offloaded the McPhillamy Gold Project for $76 million or shares equivalent. And then, of course, the Dubbo Zirconia Project will go into production, generating half a billion dollars a year for perhaps 100 years. So if you're looking for value in the sector at all, Alcane looks like a reasonable risk. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we would agree with you completely. But it's getting that message across. It's very hard. There's still a lot of skepticism, and particularly when you start talking capital costs of a billion dollars. You know, people always say to you, well, how are you going to raise that? How are you going to raise that in this market? The short answer is, look, we're not trying to raise a billion dollars today. Maybe 12 months, 18 months' time when we need the money, that's when we're back out there and there are multiple ways to do it. So people shouldn't get too negative at this stage about the industry and you know, about where Alcane will be in you know, two years' time or three years' time. Well, Ian, it's been a fascinating conversation this week. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Ellis. It's nice to talk to you too. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, CEO and Managing Director of Alcane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol A-N-L-K-Y. Find their logo and click through to the Alcane website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Ellis. 
There's been some serious discussion in Spain as of late, which is on the verge of what appears to be a collapse, with talks of separation into three separate republics, Catalonia, the Basque region, and the rest of Spain becoming something else. I'm not even sure that's a real story, but apparently it is. Are the straits in Europe much more dire than they are in the U.S., and what can we expect to see over the next few years, in your opinion? I think we're going to see more of the same, whether what happens to Spain, obviously none of us know for sure, but the idea of centralization versus decentralization, and that's the overall theme that I want to talk about. We see more and more grasping of power and control by the elite status. You've got, you know, the United States all over the world basically doing military operations, most of them not asked for and unwanted by the populations and nation states that we have basically intruded. And then for the consolidation of monetary affairs, the euro was floated several years ago, and it's fallen apart. And so we're really seeing the reality of decentralization, where within a country, as you said, Spain, as an example, has three different factions. And this is true of many places in the world where you have the Middle East, for example, you have the Sunnis and the Shiites. They don't get along. And they would much prefer different boundaries than what were arbitrarily drawn by some of the powers that be at the time after the First and Second World War. I think we're going to see the euro fall apart eventually. I think sooner than two years, whether it's Spain that opts out or Greece that opts out or people that refuse to use it or start using a local currency or whatever, I'm not certain. But what I am certain is that this thing is, can't last for much longer, and it's going to cause all kinds of problems. Here in the United States, the whole federation is about using one currency. I mean, the idea of the several states at the beginning was each state had states' rights which were superior to the federal government's rights. But the federal government did get some of the rights to have a currency that was under Congress's command until, of course, they gave that up uh, late December 1913 and turned it over to a private corporation, the Federal Reserve. But the point being is everyone looks at this power grab as being the modality of the future. In other words, more and more one-world currency and more and more power going to the elites and the populace suffering more and more. And I see it as that's what they intend but the actual reality is it's going the other direction. You're seeing more and more decentralization. You're seeing more and more populations across the globe that are putting up protests, getting out in the streets and protesting, and they're losing control. So my look at it is the power play has run its course. It's peaked, and it's falling apart. Although for the mainstream media and all the uh, brave new world that we live in, all the mainstream media is certainly going to paint a picture that's not true, which is going to suggest that, you know, the power mongers are still in charge and, you know, you must step in line and salute and all that stuff. What's the outcome of the decentralization of Europe? First, it could go any direction. Normally, it goes more chaotic at the beginning. But actually, if people are absolutely left alone and able to come to their own devices and really be free or freer, it settles down pretty quickly, and business actually gets better, and people are happier, they're more content, they have more freedom, and they have less intrusion in their lives. The problem is, for Europe and the United States, is that so many people have been so dependent for so long, and this is true of Russia when it broke apart, that they don't know anything else. They can't think outside of the box. They don't really know what it means to be independent. And unfortunately, they are so dependent that they think they prefer to have a reality. It's sort of like the movie The Matrix. 
I mean, in a way, the Matrix had a lot of reality in it. And one of them is that people get dependent. They think they're free. They are not. But when it comes to the bottom line, choose the red pill or choose the blue pill, a lot of people choose the blue pill because they don't want the responsibility of being free or having responsibility. Because in that situation, you are responsible for yourself and your own decisions. Whereas in a dependent situation, you can always say, well, you know, if we just tax the rich more, I would get more in this, all this nonsense that's going on now. But people believe it. They believe things that aren't true. Speaking of taxing the rich, France is imposing their 75% tax on the wealthy coming up in January. How's that possibly going to spur their economy? I can't. Socialism always fails. I mean, you cannot live off of your brother forever because if your brother goes broke, then you're broke as well, and that's what's happening. I have a good friend that's a very big silver bull, has been from the beginning, that left a very successful business in Paris. He left a few years ago because he saw it coming. He's very aware. He's in Belgium now. And you're going to see more and more of that. It's coming down to the end where governments are failing. I mean, that's the main premise is that, you know, what happens when a nation state fails and what people don't seem to grasp, and some do, of course, is that when a nation state fails, the only ability of a nation state to gain all the power is to be able to extract wealth from the populace and give it to another part of the populace. And right now, when things are deteriorating at the rate that they are, especially in areas such as the Eurozone, you can't extract wealth that doesn't exist. So there's less of the pie to share with everybody. So even though the political scene is, oh, we'll just tax more and tax more and tax more and we'll have more to give you, the reality is there's less and less to get. And they're scrambling for the last slice of pie, and it's shrinking. And the political class will not give it to the populace, although that's what they'll say. They'll keep it for themselves. It's very similar to what happened at the end of the Roman Empire. Basically, the senators were dividing up what was left of the spoils for themselves. They were not doing anything but rhetoric to the public. They were just talking, but they weren't had any way, shape, or form the idea that they were going to help the populace anymore. Although in the beginning of the Republic, certainly that was the intent, and that's what was taking place. At the end, they were just looting the little that remained. Same thing's taking place in all these other nation states. It's a very, very sad thing to watch this history repeat. And again, it's never really been on a global basis before. So we're watching something unprecedented, and how far or how hard the landing's going to be, no one really knows. I'm preparing for a fairly hard landing on this. And one way to protect yourself against all of this fiscal craziness is silver and gold as actual currency. Well, absolutely, and that's the financial side of things, but it goes deeper than that, as we all know. I mean, money doesn't solve all problems. I mean, certainly money is important, and money, for most people, represents security. So the more stable your currency is, the more stability you have. And we had fairly stable monetary systems even after coming off the gold standard in August 1971, I mean, you know, 70s were very precarious for a while with the um, huge inflation in the United States, but that was quelled after Volcker took over as Fed chairman. So you had really the 80s, 90s, and probably through 2000, those 30 years that were relatively stable, looking from this perspective where we are in 2012. But now we're getting near the end where all these fiat currencies eventually fail, and fail doesn't mean go to absolute zero 
fail means what we're seeing. In other words, you're seeing a lot of nation states settling outside of the U.S. dollar, China and Russia, for an example, China and India, for an example, and oil being purchased outside of using U.S. dollars. So all these things start to take place more and more, and what happens is the premier currency, be it the dollar now, the U.S. dollar, starts to fail more and more and more, and that's exactly what's occurring. That's exactly what happened the last time, and that's when the British pound, which was at one time the British Empire's the sun never set upon. In other words, the currency, the pound sterling, was the best and used globally. And then the, the U.S. dollar usurped that. It's happening again. What's going to take its place, we really don't know. But we can see clearly that the failure is at hand and it's accelerating. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Without breaking up the union in the U.S., can't we have undeclared nation states like Utah and Texas, the trade in silver and gold bypassing all that taxation and inflation and deflation and whatever we have with the current failing system? There are alternatives. At the next Silver Summit, there'll be a gentleman talking about the AOCS, the American Open Currency System, and that's basically a barter society that anyone can join and provide service or a good using that system. I don't have it down to the specifics in great detail, but it will be provided by uh, Robert Gray at the Silver Summit. still legal to use silver and gold in transactions, and as you said, Utah has enacted that at law, so on a voluntary basis, any merchant and any Utah citizen can transact in gold and or silver in any transaction, again, as long as both parties agree. And so, yeah, I think you see a lot more of that as things unwind. So certainly you can be going about your business and not have to do any protest. Basically, you're voting with your money or you're voting with your type of money. And the Silver Summit is coming up in a few weeks, isn't it? Right. It's the 25th and 26th of October. In Spokane, Washington. Correct. Now, you're an expert on all things metals, mining, and money. Are you more bullish about silver or gold these days? Still more bullish about silver. I mean, the ratio is down about 50 to 1. We've seen it on this bull market so far. Touched the 35 to 1 level. I'm looking for that level to be achieved again and beyond. In other words, I think at the top of the market, you may see what I call the monetary or the classic ratio of 16 to 1. And I actually think it's going to overshoot that this time. I think we could get to a 10 to 1 which is basically what I call the natural ratio, which is roughly how much silver there to gold there is in the ground. In other words, all mining activity worldwide, you get about nine times more silver out of the ground than gold on an annual basis. So I'll just round it up to 10 to 1. So I think that's where you're going to get to at the top of the market. Now, if that's true, and I say if that's true, and no one knows, including myself, then that would suggest that silver would outperform gold five times to one. In other words, if it's 50 to one now and the ratio gets to 10 to one, you're going to do five times better buying silver than you're going to buy gold. Silver is much more volatile. It's a much smaller market. And just because I think it could get there doesn't mean that it will. But that's my analysis. I think that we're going to see silver outperform gold from this point forward. Now, pretty much, I think we might get back to about a 55 to one ratio. And then that would be about as bad as it gets. And I think from that point going forward, it will continue to favor silver. And still buying at $34 and change? It's really tough to say, geez, I really want everyone to buy silver at $34 plus. You know, I mean, when we got the run in 2011 and we went from 26 upward to 48, we got above the 30s. I started cautioning people in the public domain doing shows like yours, Ellis, and I said, look, be very careful here, especially about 35. This thing's going parabolic. I don't like the way the chart looks. If you need to buy silver, buy some, but don't buy all. Save some cash. Be careful, be careful, be careful. 
And I'd love to say I know it's going to pull back or you can have a chance to buy it under 30, which I recommended to everybody in the public domain. And we had months and months and months where you could have. And now a lot of people are just waking up and saying, oh, yeah, I better buy it. And it's 34, you know, and I could have bought it at 28 or 29. But regardless, yes, I don't know where else to go. And again, you know, a lot of people do not need to have a great deal of silver or gold or both. And I do suggest both depending on your pocketbook. A lot of people just need some protection. I mean, a 10% allocation of the precious metals is probably plenty for most people. There are silver bugs, there are gold bugs, there's people that think that the only asset class to own is the precious metals. But I don't take that view necessarily. I think that people have to make up their own mind, and sometimes there's too much of a good thing. I mean, that is an individual choice. That's nothing that I can recommend for any one person. They have to decide that for themselves. David, once again, thank you so much for your insight. I look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, Alf. Thank you. I've been speaking with metals, mining, and money expert David Morgan. David's website is themorganreport.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.